Welcome to Women Make Science Fiction. I'm Amy Chambers. And I'm Lyle Skeens. And we're your hosts until they replace us with robots. <laughs> or men. Joining us today is... A man. Uh, a man. <laughs> so after that introduction, we're like... Welcome. Feel welcome in our uh, womenly space of science fiction. So joining us today, uh, today, we have Scott Medson, Dr. Scott Medson, who's a lecturer in liberal arts at the University of Manchester, uh, specialising in theology and post-humanism. Um, and his current re- research project looks at love and robots. Um, he has two books, one called Cyborg Theology, Humans, Technology and God, and an edited collection called Love, Technology and Theology. Hi, Scott. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Welcome. So uh, what we're looking at today um, is two films that we've watched recently, um, which introduce the idea of the robot boyfriend is this, the term that I'm going to use. Um, and we can think about sort of how that's uh, framed. We'll be looking at two um, women-directed science fiction comedy films. Um, we've got Making Mr. Right from 1987 by Susan Sadelman. I always want to say Sadermeyer, so I just I don't know why. She is not a justice. She is not. He was an American film director and producer and writer. Um, one of her first um, independent films um, was the first woman-directed independent American film to feature at Cannes. Um, and um, we're also looking at um, I'm Your Man or Ich Bin Dein Mensch from 2021, directed by Maria Schrader, um, who for me is an amazing badass actress on a series of German TV shows called Deutschland's 1983, 1986 and 1989, where she plays a handler for the Stasi. Um, And here she is directing a, Lyle's face is brilliant here. She goes, obviously the woman who directed the movie about the perfect robot man has done a three series <laughs> TV show playing a handler for the Stasi. Um, and so awesome. when I, <laughs> I, I saw that the film was directed by her, I was like, no, it can't be the same Maria Schrader. That's just don't just don't assume that everyone called Maria Schrader must be that actress. And then it was Stasi Lady. Um, but she's also directed sure an she orthodox loves that nickname. <laughs> no, it's not going that one. <laughs> an orthodox for Netflix, which she won Emmys for, and she's also done a German Iranian um, film called Love Life. So, uh, what did you think of those two particular films? Quite contrasting in their style. <laughs> yeah, very different um, comedy styles. <laughs> like I was <laughs> thinking about sort of. Because I mean, one of the um, uh, "I'm Your Man" was really kind of like dark, um, sort of um, I don't know, kind of like dark humor and everything. It was very kind of like everyday. And then um, the "Making Mr. Right" one, which I finished watching um, just this morning, um, very much a product of its time. Very much a kind of slapstick. Very much a kind of you know carry on robot type thing. It was a lot of um, a lot of more cliches and things, but. There were a lot of interesting parallels, just different ways that they kind of brought that material out. Um, so that was one of the things that, that really struck me. The idea that even young John Malkovich, because I'm sorry, Malkovich is Malkovich. I don't care if he's three years old or 60. He's still John Malkovich. The, I, the notion that he is the perfect man is so like, who thought that was the best idea? Like as a scientist, yes, as the scientist, he's great. Um, 
and it like in my own head canon this is the early version of the scientist that he plays in space force um <laughs> and and it works that way but but the the notion of that he's just like this perfect specimen of a like <laughs> mr right i was just with like that hair too with that <laughs> Again, it's a product of its time. I, think about her. <laughs> I feel like there's like a direct line. You could draw a straight line through this film and then being John Val- Malkovich and then Space Force. And I was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I love how we re- accept shit when it's John Malkovich. <laughs> the re-release of the DVD was like John Malkovich, open bracket, being John Malkovich, closed bracket. Like that was the helpful film to have to position who that actor <laughs> was. You're like John Malkovich from where do where's that name ring about? It was interesting seeing him in a romantic role um as well, uh, and that sort of distinction between those two characters so he plays um a scientist called jeff peters who's meant to be socially awkward and incapable of making human connections um and showing emotion and then he has a robot maid that looks exactly like him to go on a space mission called ulysses uh, interestingly the second film in a row where, where the main character has been called ulysses so um the last film we looked at was called Great Land, uh, which was insane. Uh, please have a look at my review for that. It's, uh, I spent ages trying to pick out what was going on there. Um, but I you have this. My memory. <laughs> it was very like, weird. Really? We watched that? That's good for us. It had a lot of drag queens and glitter, which we enjoyed, but I'm not quite sure how all of it fit together. It was completely mad. Anyway, um, with that, you've got uh, Ulysses and then you have a PR uh, woman called Frankie Stone, um, played by Anne Magnuson, who comes in. And it's this sort of interesting idea that in order for a robot to survive in space, it would need to have a more rounded empathetic personality than the scientist that created him it and yeah yeah I thought that was quite interesting and this is obviously why we've got you Scott (laughs) there's this weird creepiness of all the like the created robots are essentially toddlers like Mm. the sexualization of the the grown man body with the knowledge of the world of like a three-year-old is super creepy i mean it's if we had watched weird science i feel like it would be the same going the other direction but it's still it's it's super creepy it's kind of weird like that i mean it's before it's time in that sense as well because there's um icub the robot that sort of was at the forefront of the developmental um just stepping outside of the film for a second there it was at the forefront of the kind of developmental um (laughs) models of of robots it's the idea that they learn like a toddler kind of you know coming uh, to sort of experience the world and things and there's a certain model of humanness that we all we're, we're the kind of tabula rasa we can learn as we kind of experience the world and have our relationships but it was weird watching that play out in the film and it, as you say it's that kind of romanticized infantilized kind of thing like he knows a lot of things but he also I mean there's those uh those kind of comedic uh moments in the sort of clips where uh, frankie was watching about the robot and he kind of you know can't pour a cup of tea or something like that and you know again those moments those motions are some of the ones that real life roboticists really struggle with 
a lot more so than anything of the intellectual stuff. So there was, you know, that kind of interesting bit there, but it was just kind of how, you know, that becomes the kind of desirable or something romantic in that. And it, it, I, I, yeah, and again, there was a parallel that I kind of was sort of, I don't know if I was maybe stretching to make a parallel with I'm Your Man in this, but there was the kind of idea that uh, Dan Stevens' character, uh, Tom, um, who is, you know, beautiful beyond belief. He's just... <laughs> yeah, Team yeah. Tom! Wait, 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 I mean, he's Dan Stevens. <laughs> but he has a lot more of that kind of self-confidence, self-assuredness. It's it's more the kind of, I guess, the original. And it's weird that this is a lot more kind of recent because actually in terms of developmental models of robotics, Tom was very much the kind of, let's build a human that is fully rounded and fully formed from the get-go. There's no like, I mean, obviously Tom does go on a bit of a learning process, but it's more about, um, I can't remember her name. Uh, Alma. Alma, yeah, it's more about her learning process whereas almost with making mr right it's it's the robot it's it's um uh ulysses that goes on that kind of journey and yes everyone else goes on that journey as well but it's more about the robot that learns and i mean i won't it's nothing groundbreaking to say i was really reminded of uh, frankenstein and That's those kind of frankensteinian yeah. kind of narratives in that uh, whereas actually one of the things that i loved about i'm your man was it kind of moves a lot away from those Frankensteinian kind of ideas. It's more about the, the robot as a mirror. And there's some, you know, I love the kind of deep philosophical introspective shit and everything <laughs> that was like really set in my mind. And I, there was some really like profound quotes and moments, whereas I thought the profound bits in making Mr. Right <laughs> were um, differently presented, let's say. It was a lot more kind of slap, slapstick. And I mean, I didn't even get that much romance vibes until the end with the swoon and the kiss and the oh he didn't go to space um yeah there's sort of like bait and switch at the end where it yeah. turns out that Ulysses realizes that to live in space he was wrong about emotions and empathy and therefore he's better suited yeah to go on I, a solo mission and I, I, it was interesting but also sort of like all right then uh in terms it was of like so trying to like Hollywood formulaic it yeah. absolutely like it, there was a there was a script map and they were hitting all the the key key points of Freitag's pyramid by you know every every page of the script that they needed to and it, so it just it was like okay we're we're doing another 80s 80s comedy movie and it's just it's so structuralist it's yeah. just almost blank but that's um, sort of a body switch element to it so you say frankenstein i say big yeah i see what you mean but yeah. more the like child in the adult's body yeah. and this sort of framing of tom hanks and big as the romantic lead versus ulysses as the romantic lead in this and that sort of childlike framing of that masculine lead which is really problematic but not when you're watching it as a kid and big the more you unpick big you're like yeah um, <laughs> the more you unpick many many things that's not okay i mean there were like, so many i mean the structures in in uh making mr right i kind of noted them down i wasn't even like i was trying to enjoy the film and sort of put away film critic head a little bit and i was kind of like nope we've got the man versus woman we've got the smarts versus the dumb we've got the robot versus the human and what is human human is to not want to be alone and 
you know, Kel Surprise, the scientist who wants to be alone, who always wanted to be alone throughout the film, he's a lot happier in space and he's the one that's more robotic than anyone else. I was kind of like, I, I don't know, I found myself kind of asking, was this surprising to an earlier, like, because I kind of watch it now and I'm like, it's such a well-trodden narrative. And that's why I loved um, I'm Your Man, which I actually saw in the cinema when it first came out and I jumped at the chance to be able to watch it again because, you know, like 60% Dan Stevens, 40% yeah, great films. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it really, it, it, it challenges a lot of those kind of categories. And there were some interesting relatable bits in that film in different ways. I mean, the bit where the academic finds that her research has been published by that other group in, in Buenos fucking Aries. I was like, this cuts deep. We've all had like mm-hmm. this moment. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it, it, it wasn't, very much set in those kind of binaries in fact it was almost playing out more like a kind of Turing test like uh, but it almost like you know Turing test as it was in in her or ex machina where it's kind of like well we can see there's a difference we know this is a robot but actually what happens if you don't approach it as oh I'm trying to guess if this is a robot or a human it's kind of like well actually I, I can take this part for granted what happens when we play about with those categories a lot more whereas with making Mr. Right it's very much everything is affirming those structures and those categories even right through to the end where you know the human who is more of a machine than the robot who is more of a human but there's actually not that much transgression in that it's it's the way that she frankie uh reads um i keep having to check my notes for the character (laughs) names i'm really bad for character names i'm like what's the face of duda um but frankie looking at the final speech at the end of uh, making Mr. Right and assuming that the robot is now broken and that she has broken him uh, because he's no longer showing uh, sort of any emotional depth. And then the sort of like Hollywood ending where he turns up at, his, at her door and you're like, um, but <sighs> the idea of, of sort of being of working and not working and the fact that, to be a working robot it has that emotional it's able to be empathetic and emotional that that is what makes for a successful robot in being in being Mr. White how do emotions fit into these ideas because you've talked here about uh, Ex Machina as an example um, and you have Sophia obviously um, Hanson Robotics is it Hanson Robotics Sophia um, who like Ava in Ex Machina has got the visible robotic part. So it's purposely set so that you have to confront that image of it being robot um, and then layer on top of that your sort of response to that, the the complexity of that. Um, Yeah, I just wondered what you thought about that sort of emotional part of, of making Mr. Right and how we sort of think about the relationship between robots and emotion in pop culture as well it's really interesting one of the things that struck me in making mr right when i was watching it was that um you know that deep tension again between reason and emotion and that like animates so much of what's going on with real world robotics and sci-fi robotics and every other myth and story in between because you know at the start there was the sort of scientist versus the pr executive um and the only reason that she wanted to interject the um, emotion, the kind of, um, the desirability of the robot was to get funding. Uh, You know, uh, John Malkovich's uh, scientist character, I can't remember, Dr, what's his face? Peters. Peters, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember because he's got two first names. 
yeah okay yeah dr peters he he was <laughs> obviously entirely throughout really shunning all the emotive all the affective aspects really kind of skeptical even of his own emotive dimensions and yet when this robot kind of has these uh, affective dimensions it becomes more interpersonal but that actually undermines its ability to go out into space and that makes dr peters really pissed off that you know you've you've gone against your original programming and that's where I kind of thought love the narratives about love were really interesting the idea that love supersedes the algorithmic goes uh transcends the programming I mean even to the point where um there's the the obviously played for massive comedic effect every time that uh Ulysses comes into a loving or a sexual encounter its head blows off or it's short circuit and again it's that binary between exactly <laughs> it's that binary between human and robot where the two the human exceeds the robotic they come together in that final resolution and um, obviously dr peters is more robotic than human because he shuns all kind of connections and interpersonal relations so there's something interesting about like humanness and affect and desire there and yet when we come to i'm your man um uh i've got alma i nearly forgot her name again they nearly called her ava alma um <laughs> is that kind of closed off human i guess sort of paralleling uh some of the main characters actually in uh, making mr right she doesn't have any interest in uh you know connection but she's obviously got that past that uh, plays out with her research associate the guy who stole the lovely photograph back and then there's that blank space on the wall and it's kind of like the big metaphor of the blank space and it's kind of you know those questions about 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 trauma and about what we bring to uh, sort of relationships. So even though she kind of shuns her uh, emotions and her desire for a partner, um, I guess one of the sort of it, it, to me it links back to I'm trying to sort of connect various dots in my head. There's that line at the start of the film where uh, the uh, one the, the 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 woman who's got the clipboard and who turns out to be a robot is sort of saying you need to make a backstory because you can't really have a future unless you have a past and I thought that really animates a lot of the whole film they're trying to make this kind of past slash future together and that's got a big affective dimension whereas so much of uh, making Mr. Right is almost sort of you know um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's anachronistic. It's got no kind of time or temporality. It's just kind of two people doing their thing, sort of making a sort of partnership and going out in space, which is obviously, you know, atemporal anyway. Whereas uh, I'm Your Man, it's very much located in the sort of the temporal and bringing out the affective. Um, and actually it's, it's the robot that is more affective than the human and again but it's it's that reflective mode where it brings it out of her and you know there's that interesting sort of ending i mean the, the ending points of the two films really struck me for a huge point of difference but i don't want to jump ahead too much it was just kind of the idea that um the robot can be somehow effective and it wasn't sort of i mean Alma obviously really struggles to sort of reconcile the this is a robot with her own emotions and feelings and you know one of the big things is that she doesn't know herself she or she does know herself and she knows that she has volatile emotions and desires and needs and you know the poor Tom uh, Dan Stevens has to kind of keep up with that uh, and that's one of the things that's quite difficult so I think you know one of one of the ways that I'm Your Man really uh, addresses the tensions is really kind of, sort of say you can't separate reason and emotion they all kind of congeal together whereas making mr right 
I felt like it made too much of a point about separating the two and the ending point didn't make any kind of resolution other than, you know, the guy who shuns emotions goes off into space and does his scientific thing and everyone else who <laughs> science. wants to. Exactly. <laughs> if you I like kind science, of feel just... like making Mr. Right does, I mean, inadvertently and I think accidentally make a good point about AI and robots and humanity. And I mean, it's playing into this um, I mean, they all play into this the 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 horrific science science fiction trope that to be that that the singular human quality, what makes us different from everything else is love. And it's bollocks, right? Love is love is oxytocin. Love is um a hormone triggered by human contact, skin contact, the birth process, yada, yada, yada. Um, not to be completely cynical about it. um and but, uh, you know, and and so we have this trope that that is what it is, as as opposed to you know, the fundamental human quality is selfishness is what really it is. Um, but at the end of making Mister Right, um, the question about what how do we differentiate between robot and human? And I think the the end point is well. There, there's not much there's there's the mechanics of it there's the biology of it right but if you replicate all those effects isn't what you have created another human uh and that to me is is really what most of these things are asking is at what point you know and that's the point of the turing test and that's the point of all of this stuff is at what point does what we created have the same rights and needs and designation as we do and it actually is for me at this current moment in sort of british dis public discourse is bringing up a massive trans allegory um i saw a horrific thread um that someone didn't retweet but at least took shots at screenshots of from one of these gc turfs um where like she just goes out in the world and she's convinced that almost everybody she sees is trans because she's somehow applying some principle of skeletal structure oh that person has broad shoulders they must be secretly they're they're a oh, trans yeah. woman yeah have you yeah, seen yeah. this it's insane it's like clearly this woman needs help because she's imagining all of this but also at the root of it it's like who cares right <laughs> who cares what is in your pants you know and there's also this you know oh if you die and an archaeologist in three thousand years will look at your skeleton and they'll still sex it by you know by the skeletal structures i'm actually it's not a perfect science despite what you see on bones most archaeologists cannot just look at a set of bones and go oh that's female oh that's male. so it's it it, it is you know it's relevant both to our studies of ai and ethics of ai and and robots but also relevant to the the things that we do with our own bodies and how we present and you know whether we determine other people's rights based on how they've manipulated their own bodies i mean it's it's a little bit terrifying that you know, we're, we still have this notion of, oh, it's just a robot. And we have so many of our science fiction discourse revolves around this. Yeah, but they don't have the same rights as us. They're just robots. 
when really what those robots are representing are women and trans minorities and LGBTQ and uh, immigrants and, you know, all these other sorts of things where we place them into categories of human and not human. Because it's one of the things that happens with with Tom is that when she she can't actually discard him when she decides she wants when Alma decides she wants to finish the experiment early. I'm going to come back in a second and just do a bit of context on <laughs> I'm your man. Um, she can't dispose of him herself. She needs him to make that decision. So she's separated from that emotion, although it doesn't work. Um, and his sort of framing there as I've, I've now experienced this uh, world. I've experienced this freedom that you've given me intellectually and now I don't want to go back if I get reset I'm dying it's that sort of idea of sort of resetting the robot as a form of death yeah so I'm your man um is about an archaeologist which links very nicely into what we've just been saying um she is down Dr Alma Felser um and is one of only 10 people who is asked to evaluate human like robots for a company um she does this in order to receive additional funding necessary to complete her current research project so the sort of um, agreement of doing this trial Turing test style trial uh with these robots is to help her finish her research unfortunately she gets gazumped uh in her research project um and it's all been for nothing or has it um she has a ill father um and um a sister called Cora um who have some interesting discussions between them interestingly this past present and future element of I'm your man includes discussion of a former childhood sweetheart or rather a a boy that both she and her sister Cora were in love with as children who is also called Tom um and she sort of starts to patch in this idea of Tom being the Tom from her um, past. So it's interesting to think about how much of her personal history was utilised by the programmers when it came to creating Tom, because we don't necessarily get that sort of detail in terms of how he's been programmed. How would you programme potentially the perfect partner for someone? What do you need um, to do that? I would have loved to see like this film as, as like, a sliding doors type thing where we see the current you know i'm your man versus i'm your man if she actually wanted the robot like and accepted it same same dance same tom but a different alma in each and it would be very interesting to see that comparison i mean it was kind of the with with it was the interesting kind of thing of like know thyself and not knowing thyself and there was a really delicate dance between the two characters there like alma seems to come across as really headstrong like i really know myself i'm done with love i've been fucked around by this guy in the past the whole pregnancy and losing her baby thing she's carrying a lot of trauma that she closes herself off to and through Tom, who seems to know her and her desires more than she does, except he doesn't because she knows that she's volatile, she's human. Part of her humanness is in her unpredictability, and Tom can't quite keep up with that. So no matter how much he's been... Because pro- I kind of... What you're saying to me about um, how he was sort of a simulacrum or kind of designed somewhat on the Thomas of her past, it's kind of unclear whether that's intentional whether that's something that kind of the two of them create as a story but that's interesting itself that they're co-creating that story and almost the relationship that they kind of come to build 
isn't you know utopian it's not dystopian it's not a kind of you know that she tries to kick him out or he she gets him to kick himself out he doesn't self-destruct or erase himself or anything and it's that kind of head doesn't explode no head exploding it doesn't explode yeah he goes back to that bench and she knows where he's gone to again whether it's not knowing themselves per se but knowing them in their relationship that they've kind of created in the story that they've weaved there and I can't I mean Amy you know me you know I can't resist a Donna Haraway reference and anything that I do say or think and like to me the ending of that story in fact the whole kind of um rumination from um i'm your man is very harrowian in the staying with the trouble very sort of cyborgian very much we can't you know i've tried to deny this relationship i've tried to kick you out i've tried to hate you interestingly the moment where she decides Alma decides she might love tom a little bit more is where he's so where she pities him the most and there's an interesting parallel there with uh making mr right do we is love about pity <laughs> i don't know if that's a bleak <laughs> statement there but uh but that's maybe an aside there's there's something about um how you know they can't escape or deny each other because you know tom is programmed on her likes and you know what she what she is and he's also learned from her just as she's learned about herself through tom and i guess tom's learned about himself through alma as well and actually that end point where they're lying on the table i see it as maybe misguidedly quite optimistic in the sense that there is no sort of denial of these entanglements uh we can't we're at this point already i mean we're not anywhere near the sophistication of ai as what we see on the on the film and I guess there's, it's worth saying that the film isn't set off in some distant future. It's a kind of alternative present, maybe slightly cleaner present, but present nonetheless. Um, Central Berlin, though. Central, Central Berlin yeah, is quite true. nice. <laughs> it is nice, yeah. it's nice. <laughs> yeah, beautiful architecture. Um, but, you know, they can't, they can't go their separate ways. It's not like the end of her even, where the AIs decide that actually we can try and make this work, but we're just too radically different. So we're all going to go off and try to, you know, discover ourselves and leave the humans to reconnect. It's not even that kind of ending. It's actually a an entanglement, I guess, of humans and machines that we just can't sieve out. And I guess that was maybe my disappointment or, I don't know, yeah, maybe disappointment with the end of uh, Making Mr. Right was that it actually does still sieve out the human and the machine yes it allows some crossovers but like what you're saying about the kind of you know links to kind of queer theories and uh, sort of trans identities and things it kind of still reimposes those categories um although in some ways making mr right kind of skirts around the question about what it is to be human it touches on it in terms of you know emotions and all these kind of things uh you know the idea that to be interpersonal to want a relationship is is human it, it quite happily reimposes those categories of human and non-human based on those kind of things. Whereas what I really liked about I'm Your Man is it resists those binaries, those separations. And it, again, it, it's that Haraway and staying with the trouble, you know, uh, Alma can't, you know, do without her her robot, whether she likes it or not. It's almost kind of not about, given that, you know, this robot was programmed on her desire, the fact that the end point isn't really about her own desire I mean that, and that's something that's touched on her throughout the film as well. You know, the the moment where her research falls apart, someone else has done it, and Tom's like, "You're being egocentric. You're being pathetic." And she's <laughs> like, bloody damn right, I'm being pathetic. This is my work. This is my colleague's work. And actually, you know, he. It, it, when we think about love, it's kind of the the self, the other, and the bigger kind of other. The question of egocentricity in those relationships is one that plays out really, really interestingly across the two films, but. 
almost that your own egotistical desire isn't that final point and maybe that's a deeper message on what love is sorry i'll get off my soapbox there yeah but i like this that we're obviously three academics with research and i think that sort of like love and research part is quite interesting as well and and in terms of how much your self-identity goes into your your research and, yeah. and when something's not working or when you get oh, a really mean rejection email or something like that that, that how yeah. those are connected yeah. um so I, I I sort of felt heartbroken for her and then at the same and then really angry with Tom in the same way that she is because he's like does it matter and you're like yes it does that's how I no, feel every time my husband is reasonable man and I'm like <laughs> I don't need reasonable man right now. I yeah. need I need I need cheerleader and yeah. anger right now. <laughs> and Tom, you I'm know, looking for nuance there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's also quite interesting in you know Alma's final report because you know it's that it's that really tense ending. She's narrating her report while she's going back to Tom and she's saying, no, we, we can't, I can't authorize or recommend these these machines because what if we have these these machines that are all sort of catered to our own desires we're going to become sort of I can't remember the exact phrasing but it was the the idea that we're going to be bored out of our minds we're going to become somehow less than human if we have these things that are catered to our egocentric desires and at the same time she's not really on that journey pursuing her own egocentric desire it's something about the relationship that she's come to something different there um that I think is is you know, it almost undercuts its own message at the same time. And I get that, you know, the film doesn't try to reconcile that tension. It is, again, that staying with the trouble. It's like, yeah, no, this is really, really bloody difficult to sift through over to you, the audience. And I guess it's kind of like some of my favourite films, like, you know, Children of Men, it's that ambiguous kind of ending. And it doesn't try to resolve these things in the way that, you know, making Mr. Right, I guess, I guess does. And I, I get it's a happier ending, but I always see more bleakness in that kind of happy ending because of the way it reimposes those categories. And even though I'm Your Man is a lot more cynical throughout, it's a lot more introspective, it's a lot more kind of reflective. I think there's a lot more optimism in that as well, maybe. Yeah. But there's this sort of idea of, of, of love as something that is not easily defined in yeah. terms of logic and yeah. that she on one side has her academic sort of report brain where she's like this is what I think this is my rep- recommendation all of these things and then at the same time she recognizes that she has fallen for Tom that there is more than just a um more than some of its parts kind of thing I guess subject object sort of yeah. relationship and and I think that was that was really interesting just to go back to this sort of idea of um the programming again the parallels with ex machina are are really interesting in the sense that um ava as a turing sort of test subject idea is based on caleb um dominal gleason's um histories that i'm just thinking about then this idea of data and how um in both of those films, um, this idea of creating the perfect robot, the neighbour is meant to be sort of the ideal robot from Caleb, explained as being um, created from his porn searches and his, yeah, that it's very boy wrote the film. Um, <laughs> uh, but that's how I've she's I've seen being it, but created. all I remember is beautiful Oscar Isaac dancing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's um, what I remember. But in that one, Caleb, his 
it's his data and his online data and his sort of like Facebook searches, his that that sort of huge volume of data is then what to use to create this sort of perfect woman. So it's it's not simply data that has been handed over in the sense of it's and I feel it's the same for Alma that it the data that has created Tom in the way that Caleb's data creates Ava is more scalped from uh online data rather than purely from like a form the information that you would give on a a questionnaire is going to be different from what can be scalped mm-hmm. from the from the internet especially if you want someone that is online or if they've got access I mean it's it's a meant to be a massive company potentially medical so they may well have had access to her medical records have access to so that that sort of knowledge of her relationships her body her background her family all of these things have sort of fed into that it's not simply a profile that's been made off a questionnaire which that there's sort of this idea of creating the perfect child or creating the perfect um partner in science fiction where there's like a tick boxing thing um whereas I, I sense that both for Alma and Caleb um that the way that those characters were created was through this sort of data construction that is an unhappy face Lyle so no. ex machina is just one of the weird science kids grown up <laughs> yeah. right so he did not learn any lesson whatsoever and just got grosser awesome yeah the yeah yeah the more again ex machina when i start to unpick it i'm like oh no <laughs> yeah so many things of it are so you know kind of clever and it goes it, it raises some really interesting points but then it also the kind of tenets to get there it's like oh we, we're, we're building it on those blocks okay cool i mean from my like feminist sds perspective all of the stuff around like bro tech and the problems the systemic issues around ai and creating technologies that are based off you know someone going hmm, porn searches let's use that as a way yeah. of creating the perfect it's always woman. like an incel creating his perfect woman and it's like uh, ew just ew in terms of the gender narratives i mean like one of the things that i did i mean just to sort of because we've linked um ex machina with i'm your man a curveball link between making mr right and ex machina that i did sort of consider was um almost that kind of femme fatale figure that kind of challenges the creator god sciencey type if we're thinking of a parallel between dr jones dr no dr Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. I know, I'm going to go on an I can't hear Dr. Jones without... Uh, Jeff Peters, Dr. Peters. Dr. Peters. I knew it was a name. See, Laura, you got me with the name thing and I went down a different name route. Uh, Dr. Oh, Peters and, um, and uh, you know, sexy dancing Oscar Isaac Caleb. Um, they've both got that kind of God complex mode. And even though um you know Ulysses is a created male figure and Ava was a created female figure the, in both films there's that kind of femme fatale type thing that almost foils or challenges the creator's own design so um can't remember her name but the woman that falls in love with Ulysses the marketing Frankie. person Frankie yes yeah Frankie she almost sort of plays off as that femme fatale to uh Dr. Peters's kind of plans for his robot and he has that kind of you know big pro that that, that tantrum basically and we we're talking about infantilizing he has the most infantile tantrum like you ruined my experiment he was going to come to space and I was going to live my boyhood dreams of being in space um <laughs> so I got you know that note but um what you were saying Amy about sort of data and you know perfect companions I mean that's 
really apposite for a lot of the trends that we're seeing in kind of personalized computing and how that's sort of filtering out into kind of uh, companions and companion bots and so-called perfect companions and always that question comes up with notions and narratives of perfection is perfect for who um which isn't sort of irrelevant in this context of egocentric love the kind of you know two-way partnership type thing because in some ways in many ways tom is perfect for alma he was sort of you know developed from her her data and yes it's a lot more rich uh, a data set than you know her sort of saying this is what i like and this is what i don't like doing a kind of personality metric or something um and that kind of data already sort of i guess exists in equivalent form so you know Know, there's the Facebook doubles where you have your digital clone that is more you than you and that is the sort of bedrock for so much um, personalized marketing data driven algorithm driven marketing and we all know and experience this on social media on a regular basis and yet none of us would say that is the entire us that is a certain mode that we use to um, you know it's a certain arena that we perform ourselves it's a certain way that we perform ourselves so it's limited in that regard but also and we see this with Alma as well we um, interact with our past selves and all that data and all those kind of things in a very active dynamic and fundamentally emotional way so we are sort of not the same person from one moment to the next so all that perfect data it's always as rich as it is it's always a series of static images about yourself that aren't as nuanced as the stories that again you know that um, Alma and Tom weave for themselves and it's that kind of co-development type thing um, but there is that kind of um, yeah question of who this is perfect for is this actually perfect for Alma and I think she realizes this isn't perfect for her um, she doesn't want this but also she's got to the point where she can't evade it it's not perfect for Tom because he's you know there's that moment where he kind of says would it kill you to be nice I mean he runs the bath and there's that line 93% of German women would love this and she <laughs> Yes, what side of the equation I'm on? <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> it's such a beautiful scene because he's just like so corny in it. It's interesting where you can see the differences between the base, I think the base programming of him as a boyfriend bot versus the stuff that has been specifically tailored for Alma. And I thought yeah. that was a really, I think they played that really well in terms of sort of like how statistics and, um, so the way that we try to read people are set up and he does sort of particular thing. I mean, it's like, full, I love that sequence, full on cliches, sort of like uh, Vaseline on the lens, soft focus, yeah, yeah, yeah. bottle of wine, yeah. uh, rose petals everywhere. And you're just like... I was just like going, no, 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 son, read the room. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Swing and a miss. Like. Uh-huh. But then at the same time, I'm like, but it's Dan Stevens. So I'm like, I feel like I'm probably yeah, like, I... that's, and I think that his casting is really interesting for that because he sits as that sort of actor who has quite a complex persona and, and personality yeah. in the sense that he's not just sort of a, they didn't cast just a sort of like generic, pretty, pretty boy. It was specifically someone that was recognizable and, and that casting was, you know, he's got, he as an actor has done obviously he was Matthew in, in Downton Abbey um, and then he's gone on and done quite diverse yeah, yeah. pieces because yeah. um, I, I watched a couple of days Eurovision. beforehand uh, the Eurovision film where yeah. I love him love him in that yeah. particular movie 
I mean, he's versatile, which is interesting for how he plays Tom, but also even down to his uh, Britishness uh, doing the kind of German accent. And then that also feeds into the algorithm. You know, what, why why British? And he's like, well, you like uh, exotic, is it, or something? But not too, you like foreign people, but not too exotic. So English. And it's kind of like, it's really interesting that even the casting in that sense is sort of woven yeah. into, the, into the script. But I mean, I thought the two of them played off uh, super well. And even the kind of... I mean, the com- the comedy style is very different from making Mr. Right, but I love that kind of <laughs> understated dark humour, like that interaction where he's making the coffee and the X is there. And it's just the three of them are so awkward. I sat there like wincing and wrangling my stomach, but also like this is this is brilliant understated humour. I feel like the three of them do that really well, even though they're not necessarily known for being you know overplayed comedic actors or anything i think it's the yeah, vers- but i think julian is a particular he's the, the ex uh, boyfriend with the pregnant girlfriend steffi he's like not particularly likable character but i also like the fact that she they didn't look like copies of each other that this sort of idea of the creation of the perfect person was not necessarily based off her previous relationships or that particular um data like uh you know john malkovich i'm gonna make the robot that is uh the perfect robot and he's the perfect companion for me because he looks like me he is exactly me so there's that egotistical creator (laughs) god mode in that i mean i'm a theologian i can't help but do the the Mm. image of god kind of thing and we we definitely have that playing out there and that's why he's so pissed off that his creation gets remade in the image of again i'm really bad Frankie yeah exactly and I think you know that's one of the things that is another parallel across the two films the creation the robot is made in a certain way but both learn and reshape themselves through their kind of relationship so even though um, Tom is a lot more fully formed from the get-go there's still that sort of dynamic relational process which I think is kind of important to you know how we reflect on love as well and we're not you know, we might sort of think about ourselves as static people, but actually that's kind of what, you know, things like the data, however sophisticated, reveals about ourselves. And there's always limits to that. There's limits to how much we know ourselves in ourselves as well, like as embodied kind of beings. And, you know, that's obviously what Alma struggles with in herself. And then Tom, bless his heart, struggles with that even more. And you almost want to just be like, come on, Tom, come and have a hug, have a hug. Yeah, I really (laughs) want to have, like, I'm like, don't destroy him. Send him to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the only the you. only way you make Dan Stevens unattractive is if you make him a Tory. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I mean, and I just watched um in the in the mode of I will watch anything that stars Dan Stevens. I watched Apostle. Have you seen oh, yeah. Apostle? Um, no, Ooh, I haven't seen it, but oh, no. it is gruesome. And I was just like. I mean, and I, I like horror stuff and I like all the weird culty stuff and that's, but even that one, I was like, whoa, y'all. Whoa. <laughs> well, I was like, taking the Wicker Man idea a little bit far. <laughs> but that was part of, I mean, the Don Stevens, I feel like sort of the, the journey towards uh, trying to create that sort of un... <sighs> untypecastable yeah yeah to try and make him more fluid in terms of how how he gets seen um i like they recognizes that he has become sort of this sort of particular male character in popular culture and then he's like nope i'm gonna do this role and i'm gonna do this one um although i think everyone that i see him and i'm like oh but he's so lovely Mm -hmm. um it's like like what was it Uh, i did a double bill of um uh emma stone and uh, Ryan 
Gosling. La La Land. No, no, no. Uh, the first one they did together. Uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy <laughs> Stupid Love. And then I went to see Drive straight afterwards. Yeah, very. Um, I did because they came out at the same time. So I did a double <laughs> bill of, of him playing the sort of like romantic lead and then him playing this complete sort of like emotionless psychopath and coming out of that second film going, oh, I liked him. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> No, I think the reason that I, I now can't separate these sort of like the fact that I really like that actor. Um, maybe I need to watch, I'll have to do a double bill of Barbie and, uh, <laughs> and Drive. <laughs> Reminds me of my, my stepmother or my stepmother-in-law before she passed, you know, at, at 90 something years old. Every time, you know, CSI was, oh, he's such a lovely young man. <laughs> Just <laughs> like... Yeah, I'm to that stage where I'm like, oh, isn't he lovely? He says yeah, I'm not, once I've decided which someone. ones I like, it, I, it just ends up falling apart in terms of uh, <laughs> providing a more nuanced analysis. <laughs> and I think Dan Stevens, I've got to that point. Um, and so, but that kind of worked with this particular character because you have to, I think part of, of the way that that character works, you have to have that empathy for him. You have to have that sort of, um, feeling towards him and as we've said bringing everything together thinking around this idea of selfishness as a sort of human trait um, of thinking about pity as well in terms of, of that sort of um, relationship between people but also between robots and, uh, and humans in both of these films is that you get this sort of um, it's not empathy there is almost a sort of feeling sorry a pity that comes with these characters and, and part of that sort of um, feeling is what leads to the development of those um, particular relationships. Yeah, and I thought in um, I'm Your Man, you know, the, the parallels were beautiful um, between um, Alma's father. I mean, that scene where he's lost in the woods and he's been sort of, I mean, abused and beaten by those kind of, uh, those youth, that gang of, uh, of, of people. And it kind of, it keeps in check that we're not romanticizing the human experience. It's not that the robot should be more human because humans are absolutely brilliant and we're all loving. We know all about love. We do love every single day and all the things. It's actually that part of love is pity. It is care. It is being vulnerable. And we see all those things as much as Alma really wants to close herself off. I mean, that interaction she has with her, I guess it's her nephew and she's playing around with the drinks and things. Uh, you know, do I water children or do, do they drink the water? we see a very different side of her from how she is with even her colleagues, people that she likes, uh, people that she doesn't like. Um, and I think that that roundedness is one of the things that I really like about the films. Roundedness for how we think about humans. We're not all loving. We're not all hating. Sometimes love is bound up in pity. It's certainly bound up in care. It's really bound up in vulnerability. There's a little bit of egoism in that, but you know, we definitely some ego in there. Yeah, and I think it's kind of like not trying to reduce love to any one particular thing. I mean, that's why we don't really get a full answer by the end of it. But I don't think we need one. I think we see a lot of complexities and tensions that we just don't need to fully reconcile. I know I've kind of critiqued some of the reconciliation in uh, making Mister Right, but again we do see that roundedness uh, of the human experience so the exes um i can't remember both of their names i can barely remember the main characters let alone the dickhead men's that we we don't like steve is one of them um they you know have steve? that fight steve i want to say <laughs> I, I, I don't they, know they his name down <laughs> when in doubt go with steve yeah, go with steve. yeah i'm just gonna <laughs> go with steve or kevin kevin uh, they're not nice men uh even though they have nice moments and stuff and it's that kind of 
you know, they, they, they round off different parts of the human experience. I know, again, the reconciling of the tension, uh, the female friend goes back to her uh, guy and then encourages uh, uh, Frankie, Frank, Frankie. Yeah, yeah, you've got it. You've got it. <laughs> <laughs> she encourages Frankie to go back to hers and then she does. And then that's when she sees uh, Ulysses again. So I, I think it still does re impose those categories and those kind of static things but it does at least encourage us to think you know well you know being human isn't all that great why are we using humanness as the yardstick here with the robot whereas in actual fact we see so many different yardsticks that we can measure Ulysses against in terms of you know the everyday Turing test if it's trying to be human is he trying to be human like the scientist who was also trying to be non-human he's trying to be human like uh, Frankie who is also very much embroiled in her you know marketing spiel um, and she's also kind of unsure if she's closed off to love. She's unsure if she's, you know, she she's unsure of her own feelings as well. Her lovesick friend who is just trying to screw the robot and then also unsure about whether to go back to the- <laughs> can, we just, can we just have a moment of, of acknowledgement of poor Frankie's friend and her enduring trauma at trying to have sex with Ulysses and then and his head- have his head pop off. <laughs> I mean, I think, <laughs> I mean, that's played for very, because again, I think the comedy style in that film stops it from being a moment. And I feel like we do need a moment for Frankie's friend there, because <laughs> that is quite the experience. Can you imagine? Just not knowing that it's a robot. And then also when she finds out it's an android, it's kind of like, oh, it's not, it's not my cousin, it's my android. And she's like, oh, you're android? And it's kind of like, oh, it's not a big... <laughs> you know a big moment in the way i think it could have been in other films um she's just there's a whole mo- there's like a whole movie just in that like that poor friend like <laughs> yes, I, I want to see her spin off. character it was a be a totally different movie i have absolutely no idea what the friend's name was but i will put it in the mentions <laughs> well thank you very much for joining us and sharing your expertise but also making us uh, think more deeply about Amal John Malkovich playing a robot film, uh, which I did actually really enjoy, um, despite uh, being very aware of its structure and what it was doing. Yeah, I should um, say where I've critiqued the film, but I did enjoy watching it, just very like, different. would yeah. recommend, but yeah. also Pinch of Salt, whereas I'm Your Man, just fall yeah, into yeah. that um yeah, making yeah. mr right i'd recommend with drinks with a pinch of salt with maybe some tequila as well some <laughs> WhatsApp group or around you and i feel like i'm I your mean, man you could sit and enjoy and you can just be like oh what is human i think <laughs> i'm your man should be enjoyed whilst in the bathtub right surrounded by roses and candles <laughs> and all your i would take it i would take it in a heartbeat so hopefully we'll be getting back to a more regular schedule of podcasts um i'm going to be better planned this year and try and pre-record what uh some materials ahead of time we'll see how that goes um in the attempt to make um the women make science fiction podcast something slightly more regular (laughs) thanks for joining us for this women make science fiction episode and we hope you'll join lion and i again next time unless they replace us with robots or, you know, men. <laughs> <laughs>